all good things come to an end, and that is the case today as we're wrapping up the At The Movie series because we do it during the summer. We take a lot of the summer blockbusters and take a look at it, and at the same time, with summer being over, I'm sorry to say, kids, that it is very, very close for you going back to school. As a matter of fact, with the back to school, we have our back to school backpacks that we've been doing to help out some of the schools in our area. Uh, next week is the last week to bring those in, and we'll be taking those over to the school the following, following week as they get ready for school. If you've, uh, if you've missed any of our out the movies that we've done along the way, you can listen to them online or you can go on to... Uh, onto iTunes and actually find us on iTunes there. You can, you can plug it into your podcast. But we've gone through movies like The Man of Steel. We've done Iron Man 3. We've looked at Star Trek, Going Into Darkness. A lot of fun movies with a lot of great messages that are hidden inside of it. So it's been a lot of fun, and I've really enjoyed it. I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed it because I have to do research and watch movies before I can talk about them. So that is a, is a great thing for me to be able to do that. If you haven't seen the movie that we started with today, it's called Turbo. Originally, at the beginning of the summer, I was going to do Wolverine, um, but I, I watched Turbo, and I said, you know, there's a lot of great messages in that, so I switched out Wolverine for, uh, for Turbo today, and if you haven't seen it, like I said before, it's about a snail who wants to enter the Indy 500, and I know, once again, like I said, it's kind of one of those far-fetched ideas, and some people might have said, you know, that's just a dumb premise. I am not going to go see that movie, and I said, you know, that's kind of, you're kind of right. I didn't really want to see it, but... Um, Meemaw, uh, the, the grandparents sent some money to take the kids to see it in 3D, and I said, okay, I'll go with it. And I'm glad I did. Uh, those people who are critics about movies that are uh, like Turbo, where Turbo talks about a snail wanting to ra race in the Indy 500, you really have to stop and think about it. One of the, the biggest movies is an animated movie of all time, Cars. What's that about? It's about cars who talk. And they live in a city, and they inhabit a city, and you think about that, and then you think about the movie Up, and it's about a guy who fills his house with balloons and floats to a waterfall, and there's a movie about a rat that makes food. I mean, I think most movies that are kids' movies are a little far-fetched, so when we point out one to say that's a little bit much, you know, that, that might not be the right way to take it. So as I watched it and I saw it, and there were some great messages, and I wrote some things down that, that went between the, the characters that were like, oh, that would be great. You know, I got my phone in the middle of the movie, and I'm typing into my little note page. Here's some of the things. There's a guy by the name of Guy Gagne, and Guy is the inspiration for Turbo. He's the indie racer that is the indie racer to beat, and he wants to be out there. And uh, he, he gets his inspiration because Guy Gagne has a saying that he says over and over. He says, no dream is too big, no dreamer too small. I'm like, that'll preach. We can go on that one. We could take that one to the next level. There's a scene where the pessimistic brother, um, he asks... His name's Chet. He asked Turbo, he says, what if you lose your superpowers tomorrow? And Turbo's response is, then I guess I better make the most of today. We could do Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 and really break that one down. Or when Guy tells Turbo, there comes a point in every race where a driver is forced to make that one key decision, to play it safe or to move ahead. Another one. Man, we could use all these things. I'm thinking we could do a whole movie series on the movie Turbo. And the one that kind of really stood out was when Chet and Turbo were talking back and forth and and uh, Turbo had just gone through, and he was acting like he was racing a tomato. They work at a plant, and it's literally a plant, and it's a tomato plant. And, and he's racing a, a, to a tomato. And as he's racing this tomato, all of his buddies are up in the plant making fun of him because he's like, oh, you know, he's trying to do this. And the tomato ends up rolling over the top of him and squishing him. And, and um, so all his buddies are making fun of him. And his brother says, you know, you do this to yourself. Look at you. It's like you're almost forcing them to make fun of you. 
And Turbo says, I can't help it. It's in my nature. And Chet says, no, it's not. And the sooner you accept the dull, miserable reality of your existence, the happier you'll be. Isn't that kind of the way we feel sometimes in our life? That, that's the one I think that stood out to me the very most. We have these big dreams and these things that we're going out to. And, and people are like, you know what? If you just stay in your little cubicle. Uh, I was watching a funny thing. I, the other day, um, I was sitting at home and American Movie Classics, the AMC channel was on. And they had the movie Big on. And I got to thinking, does that make me old if a movie that I saw in the theater is now on AMC? So uh, I, I don't know about that. But the movie Big, and it's a movie with Tom Hanks where he grows up overnight and doesn't know how to deal with things. And uh, he's, he's sitting next to uh, John Lovitz. In, he, he gets his job and he starts working. He's working really high, hard. And John Lovitz looks over the cubicle and is like, what are you doing? You're going to work yourself out of a job. You just take it easy. Go slow. They think that we, we know what we're doing. Just... Just slow down. You don't need to put so much effort into it. You know, sometimes there's people like that in our life that just want us to slow down. I was thinking about that. And uh, I, I thought about a book that I'd read recently by Stephen Furtick called Sun Stand Still. And he says, if the size of your vision for your life isn't intimidating to you, therefore, or, there's a good chance that it's insulting to God. Let me say that again. If the size of your vision for your life isn't intimidating to you, there's a good chance it's insulting to God. You know, we say, hey, we, I got this all under control. I can do this, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one that goes forward in this. And all of these things came full front in front of me. I'm like, how can I work this into a Sunday morning? Where can I fit it at? And I thought, you know what, there's, there's a hidden theme that isn't even in something that most people would probably see. And I think it's this. Two big things hit you right in the face, and that was the fact that... They, his whole life, Turbo's whole life, number one, his whole life, he wanted to be a racer. But the reality is he's a snail. Okay? That's the reality of it all. No matter how hard he tried, the reality of it all is he's a snail and he's not going to be a racer. Until an outside force came in to make it happen. An outside force came in to make his dream a reality. And the second thing I saw was the patience it took. Though in the movie, it was a quick event, boom, he got sucked into a, an engine and got filled with NOS in his veins, and he was all excited, and nitrous oxide was going. That's what made him go so much faster. I'm sorry if I just ruined the movie for you, but it's in the commercial, so it's okay. The, uh, the whole idea of this getting loaded into him may have happened overnight, but the, the patience that it took... To say, yeah, I'm going to keep pushing, and I'm going to keep trying, and I'm going to keep doing this until one day it finally happened. The patience that was there. How many of us could say that we are truly patient? I know I can't. I know that I can't. The truth is, I want things to happen right now. I want patience right now. You know, th th that is the mentality that we have as a culture, the society we live in. If you don't move fast, you're going to get left in the dust. You're going to get run over. You're going to get trampled. Somebody's going to knock you out of the way, and we don't want that. So we move fast. We take our lives, and we shove them into high gear. We do it in our lives. We do it in our kids' lives. We have to make sure that we are at the front, and we are pushing on as best as we can. And I understand that. I like speed. As a matter of fact, this week, I uh, got to go with uh, Jerome and Bianca and Christy. We went to a, the SEND North America Conference, which is put on by the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, for church planters and getting people involved in church planting, and we got to go to Dallas. And I'm not sure about you, but when I get in the car and I plug in the GPS so I know where I'm going, right in the corner of the GPS, there's a little arrival time, right? 
Well, it's funny, a guy at the conference was talking about his goal when he gets in the car and he turns on the GPS is to beat the arrival time. I'm like, that is so me. So when I got in and Christy's like, it says we're not going to get there until 5. I'm like, do you want to bet? You know, because we're going to get there and we're going to get there in a hurry. That is the way it is. And so much so I like speed. This church was amazing, huge, almost too much. It was called Prestonwood Baptist Church. And maybe you've been, it's in Plano, Texas. This thing, when we pulled up, looked like a college campus. It had a baseball field, because they have a, like a Christian academy. It had a baseball field, it had a football field, basketball stuff. It had a gym that, that rivals most colleges. It was ridiculous. We called it Preston World instead of Preston Wood, because it was just immense. And we're looking at it, and, and uh, we pulled up, and there's a shuttle service to get you out of the parking lot up to the front. I mean, for those of you who complain about how far we have to walk from par- the parking lot from Cleveland here, um, forget about it. You know, this was, this was huge. And we're there, and we're, we're um, kind of looking around and doing all these things. And while we're there, we realized that we were in a neighborhood that was fairly affluent, okay, having this monstrosity of a church that was out there. And, I mean, just to give you an idea, there was 4,500 people at the conference, and inside their auditorium, they didn't even open up the top balcony. That's how many people this thing sat. sat. So, um, it was a fairly affluent area. Well, we ran out during one of the breaks, and, and uh, there's a convenience store called QT. And QT is like my absolute, I don't know if you can have a favorite convenience store, but that's it for me, okay? They had them in Phoenix, and you can get, they have like a, this mega island of just amazingness of drinks and all this stuff to choose from. And they have, I know it sounds weird to get all excited about a convenience store, but we found one we decided to go to. It was about two miles away. We went over to it. And on the process, about a mile from the church was a Ferrari dealership. And... I told you I like speed. I made the excuse that Camden would really like to see some pictures of some Ferraris, so we should drive in there. But I really wanted to go in and drive through the lot because I was just completely impressed with speed and, and, the, and the things. That, and those cars are beautiful. And I didn't get out to actually look at the price tag, but I just imagined in my mind myself driving one when I became the pastor of that big church or some sort like that. But, um, you know, it, it just kind of blew me away. And I know that you probably are the same way. We want to have speed, and we want to have it now. We want to move, and we want to have some fun. And we like that, I think, sometimes in our spiritual lives as well. And we want to go further than we are right now. We want God to make us more Christian than we are right now, faster. And we forget that there's a process. It's that whole idea of, God, give me the fruit of the Spirit, which one of those is patience, now. Make me a better Christian now. I've done my prayer time this morning Change my life, just like that. But God tells us in his word that really isn't about how fast we go. And as a matter of fact, that it's not a sprint at all. It's not a race that is the first one to the finish line as fast as you can get there. It's about a marathon. It's about running a marathon and a finish line that's different than what the world tells you. You see, the the world has this finish line that really is about how well you can retire, how quickly you can retire, how many times you can play golf in, in a week while you're retired, whatever it might be, if you can own a timeshare, you, you might have different things, but, but there's a finish line that is out there this world is thrown out at us, and we're thinking, how can I get to that? And God says, listen, I want you to be, be very aware of that finish line is not the same as my finish line. And he says, I want you to understand that the race that you are running is different than the race that the world has you running in. And I think sometimes we get caught up in, in the wrong race. And I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it. Back in 1964, the Minnesota Vikings were playing against the San Francisco 49ers. 
And there's a guy by the name of Jim Marshall who was a great football player, but he made a mistake that will forever live in infamy for him. And I'd like you to watch this if you would do me a favor. Go ahead and turn that on for me, Corey. Straight back to pass. Throws, completes it to Kilmer up at the 30-yard line. Kilmer driving for the first down, loses the football. It's picked up by Jim Marshall, who's running the wrong way. Marshall is running the wrong way. And he's running it into the end zone the wrong way. Thinks he's scored a touchdown. He's scored a safety. As he picks up that fumble, he ran about 60 yards the wrong way. Threw the ball up in the this air. This is my favorite part. Hey, thanks, buddy. His teammates were running along the far side of the field, Russ, trying to tell him to go, go back. Go back. <laughs> he said, no, no, no. <laughs> I tell you, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. What a happy fellow he was. What a happy guy he was. He was running the wrong way the whole time, and he thought he just scored a touchdown. You know, I think sometimes in our lives, we're running the wrong way, and we think we've got it all figured out. When we get to the end, it's not quite what it's cracked up to be. We go, I did all this for this? Wait a second, what, what's the difference here? You know, we reach that goal, finally. We reach that, and we throw the ball into the stands, and we think this is great, and everybody's like, you're an idiot. I mean, really, that's what, <laughs> that guy's a great football player, but that's the one thing that people remember about him. They call him Wrong Way Jim Marshall. I mean, that, that was it. I think Paul writes to the church at Philippi, as well as the author of Hebrews, which many people assume is, is Paul. They're writing to, to these groups to say, don't run the wrong way. Run in a way that, that you run to win the prize. Run in a way that it takes to get there. If you do me a favor, go open your Bibles up to Philippians chapter 3. If you didn't bring your Bibles, it'll be up here on the screen with you. As a matter of fact, if you have a note page on your bulletin, it is inside that note page as well. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 10. But as you're going there, let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for who you are once again. We're thankful that you have laid out this race in front of us. We're thankful that you have given us the opportunity to choose whether to run in that race or run in a completely different one. You didn't make us robots and say, this is what you have to do. But God, this is what you've called us to do. Open our hearts, open our minds to where you would go. Point our feet in the right direction so that God would become more like you. We pray it in your name. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 16. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation today. So it might be a little different than what you have, but it says this. I want to know Christ. This is Paul talking. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his faith, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let us all who are spiritually mature agree with these things. If you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we've already made. I want you to see in this passage, in the Hebrew passage that we'll talk, talk about here in just a second, um, it's made very clear to us one point in our life. That we all have a goal that is in our lives, and he says it right up front in verse 10. He basically says this, we need to know Christ and become more like him. That is our goal in life, to know Christ and become more like him. And some people say, well, what about evangelism? What about discipleship? Well, I believe that's exactly what Jesus did. So becoming more like him, those are things we're going to do. Our goal is to know Christ and become more like him. 
That is the end goal for us. That is what we're trying to achieve. That is the thing that we're trying to do. And you know what? It's not going to happen overnight like we've already talked about. But plain and simple, the Christian life isn't about how many rules we can follow or how good we can try and be. It is about developing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and allowing him to change us. But how do we reach that goal? Well, we reach that goal by running the race that's set before us by God. We reach that goal by running the race that is set before us and running in the right direction and running in a way as to win. But how do we run? How do we run? Do we run fast? Do we run slow? Do we do, how do we do this? If you look at the top of your note page, you'll see it says marathon or sprint, question mark. How do we run? How do we make this happen? And honestly, I think we need to first figure out a very obvious question. It's not so much about how we run the race before we answer the question of what race are we actually running in. You have to make sure you're running in the right race. You have to make sure you're running in the right race. And I know that sounds obvious, but people in this world are trying to run a race that they've never officially entered. They're trying to be good. They're trying to let their good deeds outweigh their bad days. They're trying to do the right things and live a life, but they've never actually let Jesus Christ be the Lord of their life. They've never actually let him put them in the race. Paul says, you know, I'm a really good person. But I came to realize that wasn't what it was about. As a matter of fact, if you look at the verses, there's six verses, seven verses right before verse 10. They start in verse 3 that Paul talks about this. He says, says this in verse 3 of chapter 3. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. This is how good of a person I am, he says. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I did exactly what the law told me to do. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without a fault. I mean, how many of us can even say that? This is Paul saying, if it's about good deeds, I have nailed it. It goes on from there in verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ as my, Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I to gain Christ. Remember what he says? The goal for us is to know Christ and become more like him. It goes on and says, and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of, uh, of making us right with himself depends not on works, but on faith. See, Paul says, trying to be sincere and, no, and knowledgeable and Bible verses and, and trying all that and trying really hard, that's good. That's an okay thing. But that's not going to get it done. That's not the, the race. That's not going to get you into the race. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 12, back at it, he says this. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things for I've ar- or I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I think we understand right here, if we look at this verse, uh, when it says p- possess, some of your versions might say take hold of. When Christ Jesus took hold of me, or, or lay hold of me, 
And as it says that, what it's saying is the reason why we're running the race and we know we're right in the right race is because Jesus took a hold of us. He chased us down like a cop would chase down a criminal and would hold on to them and make sure they didn't get away. That is what Christ has done for us. Paul is saying because Jesus chased him down and seized him and put him in the right race, that's what changed him. It wasn't anything that he had done because see, Paul was on his way on the road to Damascus to go persecute the church and Jesus came face to face with him, knocked him off his horse, made him blind and changed his life. Paul was not seeking after Jesus. Paul was seeking to destroy Jesus and his reputation. And Jesus came to him and changed his life. See, we have to understand that in our human weakness and sin, we did not seek out God first. Jesus says in Luke 19.10, I have come to seek and save the lost. Lost means that we're not found. Jesus also says in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Romans 5, 8 says that God sent Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. You see, we didn't earn the gift. And I think a lot of times we think in running that race, that as long as I try hard and as long as I do these things, that'll be good enough. But Jesus says, no, see, I came to, to possess you. I bought you with my own blood, Jesus came down because God sent him to pay a price for our sins. And that is the race. That is how we get into the race. And we say, when Jesus says, hey, it's kind of like a coach. Hey, I want to put you in the game. And what are you going to do if the coach finally puts you into the game? You know, we've seen, uh, praising God right now that today is the first day of football. Um, uh, there's even a, I'm not even a Cowboys fan, but I will sit and watch tonight's game because there's football going to be on TV. And uh, there's going to be players that are on that field tonight on both sides that have a good chance of not making the roster unless they work really hard. When the coach calls their name, my guess is they're going to give it all they've got. When Jesus calls our name, we need to give it all that we've got. And we need to run for him. Growth is a process. It starts when Jesus grabs a hold of our lives. Sometimes, though, it's a little slower growth than we want. Because like I said, we're, we're kind of fast-moving people. We want to make sure things happen. We want to make sure they happen now. We're kind of like Veruca Salt and Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. I want it now. Uh, th that's our approach to it. it, whether it be spiritually or whether it be right here in this world. We live in a world of microwave everything, instant fast foods. And God says, I want you to slow down. And I want you to not only understand that you're running in the right race, but we have to have the right attitude when it comes to racing. We have to have the right attitude when it comes to racing. Just about any athlete I know will tell you it's about attitude. Even if you have all the skills, the attitude can really play the, way, the, the difference in it all. When, when an owner goes out and spends billions of dollars to build the superstar team, and yet they don't win somehow or another. How does that happen? Well, a lot of it has to do with attitude and infighting. Um, one of the cool things, I, I got a chance to sit um, at that Prestonwood right next to uh, the guy who's the men's ministry pastor there and, and sat and talked to him for a little bit, and I had my Packers shirt on at the time. And, uh, and he's like, oh, uh, we'll let you in here anyway, that kind, of, that kind of joking thing. Turns out he was the chaplain for the Cowboys. And he plays golf with uh, Tony Romo and Dave, or uh, um, uh, Witten, Jason Witten uh, on a weekly basis. And I'm like, what? 
I said, hey, by the way, the Packers play against the Cowboys in Dallas on December 15th. So if you have any extra tickets, just go ahead and let me know. I'll, uh, I'll make sure to come down. And I'll even do the chaplain side for the Packers so you don't have to go into their locker room. Okay, that'll be fine. And, you know, so we joked a little bit about that. And so if I'm not here December 15th, uh, it's because I'm doing the Lord's work. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's funny. We, we get this idea in our mind of, of what, what victory is. And I can imagine sitting in a locker room and being a chaplain and trying to get people in the right attitude because, man, sometimes you watch professional athletes, it's very much about them and not about the team. And, and God says, no, we need to have the right attitude when we go into this. And it's about the team. It's about something more than ourselves. And I think Paul makes two points in, in all of this. He views Christian growth as a lifelong process. So he has this long-haul attitude. And the second thing he think he sees is that is that he never says that I have arrived. And Paul, of all people, could say that he's arrived. You see, he's been working with this Philippian church, or when he writes this letter, sorry, when he writes this letter to the Philippian church, he's been a Christian now for 25 years. It's been 25 years since Jesus knocked him off his horse, and he's done all these amazing things, and he's seen this whole life change, and yet he can still say, I have not arrived yet. Kind of an interesting thought to think about. When you're talking about Paul, most people in this room, and I'm not going to throw it out as a general statement, but haven't been a Christian for 25 years. And, and Paul's been doing this for 25 years, and he says, I have not arrived yet. And if you have been a Christian for 25 years, we can't get into that thinking that, yeah, I'm here, and I've arrived, and I've, I've made this happen. We have to make sure we don't get to that point. You see, he says over and over again with this long-haul attitude. Verse 12, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. In verse uh, 12, he also basically, I mean, if you wrap it up, he says, I haven't come to that complete and total knowledge of Jesus Christ that I want to be at. Verse 13, he says, no, dear sisters and brothers, I have not achieved it. And twice in 12 and 14, he says, I look forward, I press on, I'm continuing to pursue, which means I haven't made it yet. See, the Christian life isn't a 100-yard dash. I'm not a runner. I don't like running. Unless you have a ball in your hand in some way, shape, or form. Because the idea of just running to run, that, doesn't, that does not appeal to me. And some of you, it, that may be your thing. And I'm not sure God's wired different people in different ways. And that is a different way for me. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I watch people run outside my house because there's a track that kind of goes. And I'm like, what are you doing? Where are you going? And why are you doing it? I mean, at least if you have a basketball in your hand, you know there's an end goal in mind or a soccer ball at your feet or, or whatever it might be. I, I just don't quite get it. But he says, you know, we have to have the right mentality. I heard a statistic one time that said most people will quit a marathon at the 24th mile. I know that sounds just absolutely crazy. You're only 2.2 miles away. You've run the good majority of it all. But there's a point of quitting and there's a point when you don't quite see the finish line and you forget that there's just that little bit more to go and they quit. I'm thinking, wow, that is, that is just crazy. But I don't think there's ever should be a time in our life that we said, well, I think I've run far enough, so I'm good. I mean, if we look at Hebrews chapter 12 that I was telling you about earlier that was written, it says this in verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses to life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up. And let's run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates, the perfect, initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. 
Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. You think, I see this, this idea that Paul's throwing out there saying, hey, I want you guys to run this race in a lifelong process sort of way. Because humans, we have a tendency to want quick, quick, quick fixes and easy answers to difficult problems. We need to understand that that's not what God has for us. As a matter of fact, 1 Timothy 4, 7 says we need to discipline and train ourselves up to be godly. That means that training is not just a, a, a one-day thing or a one-time-a-week thing or even a two-week straight thing and then be done. It's a daily process that continues to work over and over and over again. And guess what? If you don't work at it, you're going to lose ground. Being in Dallas all week, I didn't go to the gym until Friday. And after Friday, I'm, I was very sore. And I didn't push myself as hard because I knew it would be sore. And I knew we had to shovel out the parking lot yesterday. And by the way, thank you for all the people who came out and helped yesterday. That, that was a huge blessing. And we shoveled about 18 tons of sand off the, uh, off the, the curbs out there. And you can barely even tell, which is crazy. But, but um, we filled in a hole over there. So that's all good. Um, you know, when you don't continue to work out, you're, you're going to notice yourself falling backwards. And I think it's the same way that in this lifelong process, we need to keep up that way. The second thing is, we, as we realize that it's a lifelong process, we can be patient with each other. We can be patient with each other because when we think it's a speed process, we look at somebody else and we say, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you to the point where I'm at? Or we look at ourselves and we say, why am I not to the point that they're at? And it's so easy for us to judge somebody. When we see somebody walk in, we can, we can immediately look at them and say, what is wrong with them? They have obviously not the spirituality that I have. Or vice versa. We can walk into a room and we can look at somebody and, and, and see their faces and go, oh, I just wish I was, I don't belong here because I, I'm not spiritual enough to be here. I, I actually saw a, a tweet this morning from a, uh, from a pastor back east. And he had actually said something about the fact that he loves his church because his church re helps him realize that it's okay for him to walk into a room of imperfect people because he realizes he's imperfect as well and there's no masks that hide that. Now that wasn't his tweet to the, to the ex extent that he wrote it out and it probably was much more eloquent when it came out of his, his uh, fingers. But um, the, uh, the idea that w we don't want to wear masks. We say come as you are and that's actually what we mean, to come as you are and let God change you. Let him take you and put you in the race and point your feet in the right direction and say, all right, run and continue to train and continue to train. And before you know it, you're going to be coming further and further along, but you're not going to reach that goal until the very end. When we meet Jesus face to face, and that's why I think Paul writes in verse 13, he says, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on. See, forgetting the past when he says that, he's, he's basically saying, if you're a race car driver or if you're a runner, it's not going to do you any good if you're constantly looking in the rearview mirror or constantly running with your, your head turned the other way. Because eventually, that's going to cause you an issue. Now, you can look at the things you've done in the past or things that have happened in the past and you can learn from that, but you can't dwell on it. And that's good things and bad things. You can't dwell on those things that are back there. You're moving forward. 
And that's where we need to be focused on. That's where we need to be heading in. The second thing is it says, look forward to what lies ahead. Some days, I think we forget that. Some days I think we forget that someday we're going to stand before God and be held accountable for what we've done. Romans 14 is very clear on that. That we are going to stand before God and He is going to ask us to answer for everything that we've ever done. Everything we've ever done to the positive, everything we've ever done to the negative, everything we've done with the salvation gift that He has given us. What have you done with that? And we will answer for that. If you follow Christ, it doesn't have to do with your salvation, but it very much has to do with how you've used the gifts and the blessings that God has given you. Have you used it to honor God or have you used it to honor yourself? Finally, he says, I press on, meaning right now, in the present, we have to keep moving. Paul was not satisfied with where he was currently at. He did not say, hey, it's time for me to coast. I'm doing great. Let's just chill out. He says, I press on. I push. I always want more God. I always want more learning. I always want to be growing, not just coasting along. You see, we should live a life that is similar to just the regular human life. Because they never stop growing. Did you know that a man's ears and nose never stop growing? That's why you, you'll meet an older gentleman with just a giant, giant beak and giant ears, and you're like, wow. It's because men's ears and nose don't ever stop growing. As weird as that is to translate into this, we should never stop growing. We should never stop. As a baby... A baby is constantly moving, trying to figure out, first, how to even use his hands or her hands. And then starts figuring that out. And then, so you know, they're, they're moving and they're crawling and they're getting into everything. And it's because the world is now their playground. The world is now their classroom. They're trying to figure out everything they can. And it goes all the way up through college. And did you know I found a statistic yesterday that it just blew me away? That 42% of people after they graduate college will never read another book again for the rest of their life. 42%. I went, where do you get that statistic from? Because they probably didn't read your survey question. Yeah. But 42%. That's just, that's just stopping growing. Every time I go to a conference, whether I, I really like it or not, I try and get something out of it. Every time I pick up a book, I try and get something out of it. Every time I meet with people, I have not arrived. I am not that smart of a person. You guys know that if you've been here long enough. And i got to continue to realize that, that I can learn from other people, and I can learn from other things, and I can learn from things that are Christian, and I can learn from things that are outside the Christian world. And you can too. We never should want to stop growing. We have to remember to stay teachable. Man, we've been having some great times in the men's Bible study. Even over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of taken a whole new approach to it to say, we're going to read this passage and before we break out any commentary, before we break out any questions, before we're led in anything, what is God saying? Let's take it from the perspective that this is the first time it's ever been read. That nobody's ever read it and told us what to think about it. What can we take from this? And man, that has been refreshing. It's great to hear the different perspectives of different guys and, and where they're coming from. And that's been just, just great. And Paul says, you know, we've got to have that one thing. That one thing, and, and at first he talks about we need to be in the right race. And then he says we need to have the right attitude while we're racing. Well, we also need to give the right effort. The right effort, because we can't just coast. 
Back to verse 13 when he says one thing. One thing. I don't know about you, but me, to focus on one thing takes a lot of effort. A lot of effort. One thing. I am so distracted by everything else. To focus on one thing takes a lot of effort. And he says, we need to have that kind of effort. He actually talks, you know, a lot of things, if you ever read the Bible, and you really look at what Paul's saying, a lot of times he refers to sports. He refers to running. He refers to different athletes winning in games. If, if you ever looked at an Olympian, it just a, I can't believe it. It's just a couple of months the Winter Olympics are going to be on TV, which just kind of blows my mind. But the Winter Olympics are going to come on, and if you're like me, especially during the Summer Olympics, you watch the, the swimmers and the gymnasts and stuff like that, and they are just in amazing physical shape. And while I sit on my couch and I'm eating chips and dip, I'm like, man, I wish I could be like them. You know, that is the, that is a, and maybe I'm alone. How many of you guys have, you know, biggest loser parties where you sit around and watch them all work out while you eat chocolate? Come on, seriously. You grab a bag of M&Ms and you finish them before the halfway through the show. We, we want to see those things happen, but you know how they get in that shape? You know how they get to be Olympic athletes? Before they step foot on the Olympic stage, they generally will train for four to eight years. Four to eight years. Seven to eight hours a day, six to seven days a week. Okay, I want you to picture that. Now, take from right now, go back four to eight years. And think about those four to eight years, all you do is you focus on one thing which means no more fast food for the last four to eight years, which means no more extra movies and going out and hanging out and doing all the crazy stuff that, that you may do. Maybe it has to do with just one thing. How would your life be different right now? How would you be different? That's what Olympians do, and that's what Paul is challenging us to do because he says our gold medal, our goal is to be more like Christ, to know Christ and become more like Him. That is our gold medal. So how do we do that? You're going to have to throw out some of the social distractions. You're going to have to throw out some of those side things that are there that are going to make us say, well, you know, I kind of like this way. Oh, I kind of like that way. No, he says be focused on the goal that is right there in front of us. Because we're going to run a marathon. And you either put your full effort in or you just run when it's convenient. But you can't win a race if you just run when it's convenient. You can't win a race if you're constantly stopping and waving at the crowd or saying hi to the people or, you know, looking over your shoulder. We only run a race when we're putting in the full effort in. So let me wrap up with this. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to know Christ and become more like Him, we need to make sure that, A, we're running the right race, and that's the one that God has laid out for us, just like Hebrews chapter 12 says. We have to have the right attitude that it's not going to be short and it's not going to be easy. And that we're putting in the right effort and we're focused on the goal. My prayer for you today is this. That God has spoken to you about running in this race. Because I'll tell you what, it's so easy to get distracted. So easy to get sidetracked. So easy to run in the wrong race. Or run the wrong way in the race that we're supposed to be in. I pray that God is speaking to you this morning. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, I'm going to step back to the back. Because maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I don't think Christ has even really possessed me and put me in that race. I'm running a completely different race than what you're talking about this morning. I want to talk to you. I want to have a chance to sit and talk to you about that race that you're running in. Maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you're saying, well, 
I'm in this growing stage and there's some things that, that I've seen other people do about baptism. There's some things I've seen people do about, uh, about stepping forward to serve. How do I get involved in that? I'm going to be back there and I want to talk to you about that as well. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the band to come. We're going to sing a couple of songs and we're going to wrap up for the day. But I'm going to be back there to talk to you. So let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for who you are once again. We're thankful that you did send your son, Jesus Christ, while we were still sinners. And that God, that you sent your son to pay the penalty for the sins that we have committed and that we will commit because you loved us that much to sacrifice your one and only. And God, maybe somebody here doesn't realize that. Maybe you're working in their heart. Maybe you're working in their mind right now about this idea that I am far from God, but you have made the opportunity to be closer through your son, Jesus. And they're just trying to figure out how do I get Jesus into my life? He's been pursuing me and I keep shaking him loose. How do I get in my life? God, I pray that you, you speak to them right now. And maybe there's somebody in here who says, I'm running a distracted race. God, I pray for them. They can be focused on the one goal. The one goal of becoming more like you. Praise in your name this morning, Lord. Amen.